So if you have your Bibles with you today, turn with me to Acts chapter 8. The last time, last week we had a, 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 a little pause where we had a, a special message. Uh, but it's very, very interesting about what happens in the, what's happening to the church here in Acts chapter 8. Remember, this is where things amp up a little bit for the church. The, the flame gets a little bit hotter. The cost of being a Christian is a little more heavy. Stephen just died. He was just killed. And there was a fellow there, you know, by the name of Saul. If you look at chapter 7, verse uh, uh, um, uh, 58, and, and the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Very interesting about this fellow named Saul. In chapter 8, verse 1, it says, Now Saul was consenting to his death, speaking about the death of Stephen, the first martyr in the Bible, died for the faith. And, you know, I have such deep, profound love for Stephen. I say that a lot. Every time we, you know, Moses, Joshua, Stephen, all these people. It's so cool how the Lord teaches us these things. That in all, you know, nothing new under the sun. Nothing new under the sun, as Solomon wrote. And it's so powerful because in all these situations in life, all these stations in life, we can have good courage. Because it's like, wow, you know, I have to face something this week. You read the Bible and you're like, wow, Stephen did it too. And Lord, you were with him, even though he died. But look, he says in chapter 7, verse 56, look, I see this, the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. So yeah, he's being stoned. Yeah, he's feeling a big boulder on his face. And yeah, he exhales and takes his final breath. But you know what's so beautiful about the final breath for the Christian? I don't mean to bring in folklore or fairy tales, but it's almost like, you know, the Cinderella slipper. You know, it's like, wow, it's like you take your last breath and it's like ushered into ushered into paradise. You know, death is nothing to be feared for the Christian, for the believer. No matter when it comes, no matter how it comes, death isn't to be feared. Such is the case with this beautiful man, man named Stephen, which we will see again one day. You know, we get caught up in the things of the world, the ways of the world. And what's so crummy about this world is that sometimes if we have your, our eyes too heavily in the world, we forget about our eyes being heavily in the word of God. I'm guilty of it too. But it's so beautiful how the Lord teaches us these things. In verse 1 of chapter 8 says, Now Saul was consenting to his death. But let's read a little bit about Saul. This is his B.C. days. His before Christ days. Turn with me to Acts 22. Acts 22. Verse 3. This is Paul who's giving an account of his B.C. days. He's giving testimony of his life before Christ. And in Acts 22, verse 3, he says, I am indeed a Jew. In verse 28, you know, it says that he's also a Roman. So he's Jewish and Roman. I am indeed a Jew born of Tarsus of Cilicia 
You know, you hear people say Saul of Tarsus because that's where he's from, Saul of Tarsus. It's like saying Emily of Vancouver. You know, it's Saul of Tarsus. If you want to, you know, brainiacs, you want to talk to brain, like people who think they're uh, high and mighty in terms of their knowledge of the Bible, they'll say Saul of Tarsus. And you say, oh, you mean Saul of Cilicia? And they're like dumbfounded. Like, what are you talking about? Have you not read? I am indeed, I'm not, I'm not saying to say that in a prideful sense, but you know, it's very humbling when you talk to these prideful people to bring them down a notch. It's part of using the sword. It's being on the offense. In verse three says, I am indeed a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, brought, but brought up in the city at the feet of Gamaliel. Remember Gamaliel was his teacher. A Pharisee, a teacher, you know, you see in the book of Acts how Gamaliel tells all the Jews, they say, he says, you know, if you guys, you know, if this is of the Lord, you're fighting God. That was Gamaliel, the teacher of Paul. You see such respect that Paul has for his teacher because he straight up says, you know, at the feet of Gamaliel. I mean, if you have a college professor named, you know, uh, I don't know, Mr. Smith, you know, it's like, wow, you know, I, I, I was taught up at the taught at the feet of Mr. Smith. You know, it places Mr. Smith in like, wow, you know, he's held in high esteem because Mr. Smith is downloading his information unto me. You see like, whoa, he has such high regard for his teacher. Taught according to the strictness of our father's law. Remember all the things we're reading in the law and we haven't even got into it. Like we're going to get into Leviticus and Numbers and see more law. And there is strictness to it. Like hardcore strict. Remember, that's where, that's where the law is given, you know, uh, uh, um, the wages of sin is death. Stoning, it was all in, in, in performance, in the execution of the law. But it's the letter of the law. Paul, when he was his BC days, he was a strong adherence to the letter of the law. Strong, strong, strong adherence to the letter of the law. And then he had an interaction with the Lord. And he started to understand the spirit of the law. The Lord was the one who removed the scales from his eyes. He says, taught according to the strictness of our father's law and was zealous toward God as you all are today. Remember, he's speaking to Jews regarding the letter of the law. He's giving a, his testimony, his personal testimony. And this is what he says in verse four. I persecuted this way to the death. They called Christians, you know, the people of the way in the book of Acts. And Paul says, I persecuted this way to the death. Me personally, when Paul writes about his hardships, I wonder, this is me personally, it does, it's not captured in scripture, but I wonder if it was, if that was some of the thorns in his side, the, the memory of what he did, his deep profound love for the church in writing his epistles. You know, how, being near death himself for the sake of the believers. And I wonder if it just pained him the memory of the work of his hands. Man, I love God's people so much, but I used to kill them. I used to put them in prison. I don't know if you've been around death but the sounds, the smells, it's, you talk to some like war vets, 
the smells and the sights that they've seen and the things that they've heard shouting, screaming, crying, mothers trying to cover their babies right before death. These screams, it's, it, I mean, you talk to Vietnam war vets and these are like war vets that like they hear things and they just like, they crumble. It's, and I wonder if Paul was the same way, you know, hearing a woman scream, hearing a woman shout and he remembers, wow, that shriek sounded like when I was the one who did this to a Christian. That's me personally, the thorn in his side. That's, I think that was part of it. The memory of the work of his hands. And Paul giving an account. I persecuted this way, notice the capital W, to the death, binding and delivering into prisons, both men and women. In Galatians chapter 1 verse 13, he is the one who says his goal was to destroy the church. In verse 5, he says, As also the high priest bears me witness, and all the counsel of the elders from whom I also received letters to the brethren. It's Paul's mission before he came to Christ. What would happen is, say for example, if you know I'm a Jew, and I'm a learned Jew from you know the, the school of Gamaliel, and then all of a sudden, you know, we're, I'm from L.A., you know, and you, you guys are Jews, this is a synagogue, and I come with a letter. And I say, hey, this is from the head synagogue in Los Angeles. And you read it and it says, you know, this is, uh, this is a guy who's coming here and he's going to destroy the Christians. He's going to destroy the people of the way he's going to put them, you know, in observance of the law and in the command of the law. He's going to persecute these. He's going to you know, take these people and take, put them in jail, maybe have them killed just like Stephen was. And so you guys who don't know me, but you know the, the head guy, the head synagogue in, in, in Los Angeles, you say, okay, this is the guy who's going to do it. And then you say, okay, go forth. You know, this is, you start giving me intel. We know that there's Christians over here. We know that there's Christians over here. We're going to send these guys with you and they're going to, it's hardcore stuff. And that's what he's saying here in verse five, from whom I also received letters to the brethren and went to Damascus to bring in chains, the church, people of the way, our brothers and sisters, young and old, death, prison, in chains, even those who were put there to Jerusalem to be punished. So it's like, hey, you know, I'm coming here. Tell me where all the Christians are. I'm going to put them in chains and we're going back to Los Angeles and we're going to, you know, Render the law. We're going to do the law. He was a highly, highly zealous man on a mission, on a rampage. But then he had an interaction with Jesus Christ. You know, God can save anybody. If there's ever a time when you think like, man, you know, look at the nature of this sin. Whatever it is, this guy, this girl, it's like so gross. It's so... Uh, sometimes it's so disgusting, you just want to vomit. That's what's so beautiful about Ananias. We're going to come to the account in Ananias. The good Ananias. One Ananias was a thief, and he lied to the Holy Spirit with his wife, Ananias and Sapphira. But there's another Ananias when he's praying to the Lord. You know, he was kind of in hiding. He knew that this guy Saul was coming, and he knew his, you know, what came with him. Death and prison and stoning. And he was praying to the Lord and the Lord tells him, hey, uh, 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 Ananias, 
this guy Saul, let him into your house, bring him into your house. And it's kind of funny too, because, you know, in, in his prayer to the Lord, his intimacy with the Lord, he spoke back to the Lord. And he was like, Lord, do you, do you know who this guy is? You know, I, I love you, Lord, but this is a guy who's, and he tells him again, you know, I'm going to use him for the Gentiles. And so he was like, okay, I'll do it in obedience to the Lord. I think it's going to be very interesting, the church in the last days, the, the wise bride in the last days, because there's going to be such hardcore intimacy with the Lord that he's going to be directing our steps in more deeper ways than he has before in the past. That's my belief. There are certain people who don't have intimacy with the Lord and they're not going to have that. They're going to be blind in the days when being blind is detrimental to health in a very real way. Life-threatening in a very real way. But for a church, the wise bride, it's going to be a totally different ballgame. Where it's like, you know, we might go into hiding. And the Lord says, okay, I want you to go here now. And it's like, okay, we go. And then we do something, you know, you're in hiding. And it's like, wow, it's such crazy, crazy times. And the Lord says, okay, I know you're praying. To, but, you know, I want you to bring this guy into your fold. And it's like, well, like, like, like Ananias. Lord, do you know who this guy is? And then he speaks and says, he's my tool. He's my vessel. And it's like, okay, we're going to do it. And we see accounts of the intimacy that the Lord has with his bride in, the, in, in, in Revelation. Protecting and guiding and leading. It's going to be crazy, crazy days. That's why it kind of, me personally, it's kind of frustrating sometimes when Christians, you know, they pre-tribulation, strong adherence to pre-tribulation doctrine. You know, why would God allow his bride to suffer? Why would he, why would he befall these, these things on the earth and allow his bride to suffer? But when you read Revelation and you read the guidance that he provides for the bride, a very special people, not, you know, there's the population of the earth, but then there's his special bride. The leading he has for his people. Just like what we see in the book of Acts. It's a little bit different. It's a different experience. Yeah, there's, you know, the church is going to face death. But everybody faces death. I don't get why people are afraid. I mean, I get why people are afraid of death. But 100% of the population, one in one person dies. You know, it's appointed for men to die once and then Judgment. But I wanted to see the nature of Paul. I want to understand, you know, for us to understand the nature of Paul. He was like hardcore on a mission. Death to the Christians. Death to the people of the way. And so we go back to Acts 8. In verse 1 says, Now Saul was consenting to his death, the death of Stephen. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church which was at Jerusalem, a great, great, great persecution. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. And, you know, this is where the beginning of the, what's called the diaspora. And diaspora would be like, okay, if we're in Vancouver and say we get invaded by, um, I don't know, the Chinese, you know, and for for the Asian brethren, you know, forgive me. But say, for example, you know, we're in Vancouver and then we get invaded by Chinese army. It, it, you know, we would flee. 
That, that would be a diaspora. Like we're leaving. We're like, you know, so freaked out. It's like, okay, we're going to go to Idaho. So, you know, there's this diaspora and the church starts to happen. And what happens is that the wealthy people, piece of cake to leave. They don't have to pack up anything. They can just, you know, we're out of here. You know, it's like, you know, poor people, they don't have the funds. They don't have the resources. And so it's like, wow, you know, we can't pack up, you know, all our, everything we have is right here. And like, if we leave, we can't carry this. We got to, you know, it, 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 it was difficult. That's why in the later books, Paul says, hey, don't forget the church in, in Jerusalem. You know, and the church in, you know, all these uh, different areas, the surrounding areas of Jerusalem, Paul would take in money from them and use it and say, hey, let's send this, let's help fund the church that remains in Jerusalem. So for this, this, the very early stages of this diaspora, this fleeing of Jerusalem, you know, what happened is a lot of business people, they go into different ports, they go into Corinth, and they go to Thessalonica, which were other business hubs piece of cake for them to go to Jerusalem and go from one point to another point. Easy, super easy. It doesn't matter. They lose value in their whatever, wherever home they have, they lose it. You know, $400,000 home, they lose it. No big deal. And then what happens is, you know, the poor people, that's why you see in the book of Acts, all these churches, they start giving money. And they say, here, here, supporting the ministry. And Paul comes back to Corinth and, you know, he, he doesn't want their money. He says, I don't even want your money. And then he uses Timothy and Titus. You know, he uses them. Hey, you guys go back to this area and take an offering and it's going to be for the church in, in, uh, in, in uh, Jerusalem. You see how beautiful it is? It's like one body with many parts and the, the, the church expands, but there's still like, you know, veins like in a body. Blood going to the fingers, you know, you cut your finger and you spurt blood out. And it's like, wow, there's veins that's pumping from my heart. It's going all the way through my body. And it's like getting to my fingertips. The exact same thing with the bride of Christ. One body with many parts. And this is the beginning of this great, great, great diaspora. And the cost, you know, the Lord kind of amps it up a little bit. I mean, you know, it's like, you know, you have a low flame. You turn on your stove and you have a low flame and then you turn the knob and then it, the flame gets bigger. Instead of a little blue flame, it's still blue at the bottom, but then all of a sudden you see the yellow on the top. It's a little bit hotter. The cost of being a Christian here, the cost of following Jesus Christ, the cost of being in the way gets a little heavier. It gets more life-threatening. The temperature gets a little hotter. And all the people are leaving you know, I love this verse so much. Except the apostles. Except the apostles. Yes, they're in obedience to the Lord, the leading of the Spirit. But then at the same time, remember, we just got done with the book of Matthew. They've been, they're trained up. They've had intimacy with Jesus Christ. And, you know, I shouldn't say they had intimacy with Jesus Christ. They still have intimacy with Jesus Christ. Except it's spiritual. It's deeper all this time that the apostles they're trained up they're equipped and they're empowered by the holy spirit and they're straight up fearless used mightily so yeah you know the temperature the cost of being a christian it gets hotter but you know what except the apostles they're ready everybody flees except the apostles they're ready and that's what me personally that's what i believe the last days is going to be like 
All these churches for decades, they've been teaching milk toast. They've been teaching, uh, you know, a watered down gospel. And all when, when danger comes, when, uh, you know, these, the, 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 the cost of being a Christian gets a little bit hotter. All these people are going to flee. But you know who's going to remain? Are those who are trained, those who are equipped, those who are empowered, those who are ready. In verse 2 says, and devout men carried Stephen to his burial. This is, you know, he, remember he was stoned. Devout men, they carried his body away for his burial and made great lamentation over him. They were mourning. The same way we mourn today, just the thought of Stephen, the death of this beautiful man. And remember, he gave this great testimony. It's a big chapter, Acts chapter 7. And it's a mini dissertation of the word of God. And then all of a sudden, you know, he's speaking to the, uh, 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 to the religious leaders. And he says, you guys always resist the Holy Spirit. Always resist the Holy Spirit. And I love it so much because it's like, it's, it's beautiful. He's witnessing to the very ones who killed Jesus Christ. He's fearless. And so he says in, uh, in verse 3, as for Saul, he made havoc of the church. Havoc here translates as death and destruction and laid waste the church. This is Saul before he came to Christ. I have to tell you guys, you know, if there's ever anybody in your life where you think this guy is the most disgusting piece of filth, this girl is the most disgusting piece of filth, be careful. Be careful in having that mentality. Because we all have BC days. Some of us, you know, the BC days look like, you know, XYZ. Some of us, it look like ABC. But what's so beautiful is that the Lord took us. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison house to house. This is like straight up like, you know, like what we would call it today is like terrorism. House to house. House to house. Taking people. Hey, you know, you're a Christian. Okay, you're coming with me. You don't want to come with me? Kill them. Oh, you're coming with me. Put her in chains. Put their little ones in chains. God can use anybody. Remember his zeal for the letter of the law against the so-called blasphemers of the law, against people of the, people of the way, against people of the way, because he was performing the letter of the law. And that crazy, crazy realization, I mean, just, just the thought, the realization, I mean, put yourself in, in, in Paul's shoes and you see the, the wild love, I don't even have words for it, but the wild love he has for the church. And the memories that he must have had. Like, wow, you know. I, I remember when I took this girl and put her in chains. And she wanted to fight me, so I made her chains even tighter. To where blood was coming out. In performance of the law. These memories of like, this is the work of my hands. This is where my feet used to go into people's homes, dragging away the Christians. And now my feet take me to my death. 
How beautiful his death must have been. Like, I can't wait to die. And so beautiful here in verse 4. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. So yes, there's this diaspora and people started to scatter. But because they're Christians, because they're people of the way, the seeds scatter with them. So in all things, the Lord is at work. And now we're going to look at a little passage of what happens with a beautiful man by the name of Philip. Beautiful, beautiful man by the name of Philip. One man. One man, Philip. And Philip here is one of the guys who was chosen with Stephen. And if you reflect in chapter 6, verse 5, Philip is one of these guys. Remember when there was that beef that arose in the church? And the this apostles, they were like, well, no, we're, we're, you know, we're not going to leave the word of God for this. He says, choose from among you seven men. One of them was Stephen. One of them was Philip. And something beautiful, beautiful, beautiful starts with one guy. One guy. That's what, you know, sometimes people say, oh, you know, you're just one person. You're just a little girl. You're just a little boy. You're just this. You're just that. You're so tiny. You're so small. What can you do? Look how something beautiful starts with Philip. It says in verse 5, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. This, you know, a lot of times in your walk with the Lord, ministry begets ministry. Remember, in chapter 6, he was serving at tables. And now he's straight up evangelizing, going out. I have to say something to you. You hear me talk a lot of smack from, about uh, Calvinists. Calvinists hate the words that I'm about to say on this entire message. Calvinists hate it. They can't stand it. They reject the things I'm about to say. Keep that in your mind as we continue. In verse 6, And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip. And so what's so beautiful about Philip here, he's going on the offense with the good news, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's going on the offense. He's ready for it. Remember when, you know, the, the, the apostles said to serve at tables in chapter six, they say, choose from among you seven men who are full of the spirit, full of the Holy Spirit and have a good witness, a good testimony. And so this is, this is one of those guys. Hearing and seeing the miracles which he did, the people started to heed what he would say. Remember, Philip was filled with the Holy Spirit. And you know, so many times, that's why I say, there's nothing wrong with a defensive posture. Some of the epistles of Paul's letters, he writes to the church, there's a defensive posture. Things that we ought not to do, things that we ought to fight against. But when there's the offensive posture, it's straight up preaching the gospel. Going out on the attack. And I don't mean attack like in the carnal sense. I mean attack in a very spiritual sense. With the shield and with the sword. And not just carrying them, but using them. Engaging. And miracles were happening. In verse 7, for unclean spirits, this is things of the demonic realm. Demons. Crying out with a loud voice came out of many who were demon who were possessed. This is demon possession. And many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. So miracles are happening. Philip is a beautiful man filled with the Holy Spirit. And he's on the offense preaching the good news. 
people are demon possessed. You know, people say, oh, you know, is there such a thing as demon possession? You bet you there is. A lot of drug use. You know, we're going to study that more in the book of later on in future chapters in Acts. Demon possession in the last days. And the Bible teaches that in the last days, things are going to get amped up even more because Satan knows his time is short. He knows his time is short, so he's going to amp things up. But who's ready? The church is asleep. And so there's demon possession. There's people who are paralyzed and people who are lame, and they're being healed. One guy started with Philip. One guy. And there was great joy in that city. This is a revival, a real revival. You know, I'm a kind of a supply and demand kind of guy. You know, people always say, oh, there's a, a, a revival in this area, a revival over here. And our pastor in California says, you know what, guys? I remember it starkly like it was yesterday. He says, you know what real revival looks like? He says, when the Holy Spirit descends on a town and, you know, is being, you know, it, the Lord is using certain people and the gospel goes forth and revival goes forth. He says, you know what real revival looks like? He says the bars start to close down. The strip clubs start to close down. Because there's a Holy Spirit uh, morality that returns in a town, returns in an area. And people would go to strip clubs. People would go get drunk and do all kinds of different things. And it's like because the Holy Spirit is on the move and using people and God is being glorified. All of a sudden those people who are peddling prostitutes, people who are peddling alcohol, people who are peddling drugs, they go out of business because there's no market, there's no demand. He says, that's what, that's what revival looks like. People talk about revival. Now, what do you see? You see pornography on the rise. People talk about revival and you see drug use in the church is on the rise. People talk about revival. You see marriages falling apart. That's fake. That's not revival. Real revival is when, you know, the, the, the demand, demand for evil things is choked out because the Lord is changing the nature of hearts, changing the nature of minds. Well, I used to like go this alcohol store, but I don't go there anymore. I used to like this strip club, but I don't go there anymore. I used to beat on my wife, but I don't beat on her anymore. You see, there's, it's revival, the Holy Spirit. Biblically, not fake stuff where, you know, people put on a smile and they're like, yeah, look how holy I am. And they have this dumb smile on their face and they go home and beat on their wife. They go home and they got a needle in their arm. You know, they say, hey, baby, you know, I'm going to go hang out with some friends. I'll be back in a couple hours. They come back drunk. Oh, I'm going to go hang out with my homie. It'll be okay. They go out, leave. Unbeknownst to the wife, they've been at strip clubs. That's not revival. That's fake. That's a phony. Great, great joy in the city. One guy, Philip. But there was a certain man called Simon. Now, I have to say something about this Simon guy. Historically, this is a guy named Simon Magus, M-A-G-U-S, Simon Magus. There are, when people talk about church history, 
I don't prescribe to the commonly held church fathers who were the church fathers. There are so a select few such as Irenaeus, such as Clement, who I accept as church fathers. And these are students of the apostles, which is like you know, first and second century type of stuff. When people get into the third and fourth century and even the fifth century, they start quoting like Augustine. I don't accept that. Me personally, I don't even consider Augustine a church father at all. You have a lot of learned people who always talk about Augustine. Oh, St. Augustine, St. Augustine, church history this. I don't accept him as a church father, but I do accept him as blasphemous because of the influence of the Gnostics on him. You read the writings of Augustine. I don't advocate it, but you know, if you do, you know, make sure you're filled with the Holy Spirit because you'll see his doctrine of poison in his writings. Hardcore, hardcore leaning towards Catholicism. The Virgin Mary. Very, very dangerous doctrines. There is a series of books called Against Heresies. It's written by Irenaeus. It's one of the church fathers who was a student of the Apostle John. And he fought heavily, heavily against the Gnostics. And this guy, Simon, historically, he left the church and he started to take in these crazy doctrines, Eastern mysticisms. And his influence on Augustine was very, very strong. And so keep that in mind as we read these passages. And also keep in mind that Calvinists hate the things that I'm about to say, hate the things that I'm about to teach. But there was a certain man called Simon who previously practiced sorcery, translates as magic, in the city and astonished, translates as bewitched, the people of Samaria claiming that he was somebody, someone great. So he liked being a big shot. He liked it. And remember, there's this new guy that comes to town by the name of Philip, filled with the Holy Spirit. So Mr. Big Shot is put on, you know, a second tier because people were listening to what Philip had to say. It says in verse 10, to whom they all gave heed. So all the people gave their attention to Simon from the least to the greatest, rich and poor, saying, notice, this is what the people are saying. This man is the great power of God. That's what they thought of this Simon guy. Wow, this is of the Lord. This is of the Lord. The people called it a God thing. And you know what? Even Philip. He was just like, okay, you know, you don't, you see a lot of silence of Philip. You know, he doesn't really call Simon out. But what happens in later verses is Peter and John are about to come to town. They hear these things that are happening and they say, hey, let's check up on this. That's what I love so much about the fellowship of the saints. You know, you share the good news. And it's like in a church fellowship, you have the heavies, so to speak. It's like, you know, you can, you can go out and, you know, perform and, and do it in obedience to the Lord. Yeah, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go do this. And, you know, there's certain things that were uh, Philip was kind of naive to. I don't know if that's the right word to use. 
But Philip was kind of naive to use. But then the heavies come into town. Peter and John. And they call this guy out, Simon. They call him out. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's read on. In verse 11. And they heeded him because he had... Oh, I read that. Uh, And they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. They were bewitched and they were under his... You know, he would like he was a trickster. He would like perform these magic for a long time. It was the the status quo for Simon to influence the people. But in verse twelve, when they believed Philip, as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. So Simon is an influencer on the town. But then this new influencer comes to town by the name of Philip, filled by the Holy Spirit. And look what happens now in verse 13. Then Simon himself also believed. You think like, wow, wow, Simon's a believer now. It's a good thing, right? Let's keep reading. And when he was baptized, wow, he was baptized too. Wow, praise the Lord. I'm not speaking um, in in a mocking sense about the, you know, what's happening here. But we have to see what the word of God says. And not just what the word of God says, but how the Holy Spirit moves. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip. So now you have Philip, the people, and now Simon, who's included in that group. Simon, who also believed, he's baptized. He continued with Philip and was amazed seeing the miracles and signs which were done. So instead of Simon doing the astonishing, now he's astonished. I wonder if he thought in his mind, I wonder who this Philip guy is. The power that he has. And in verse 14, now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, translates as accepted and taken in the word of God. They sent Peter and John to them. So reinforcements, the heavies are now going to to Philip, Peter and John. I love this so much. It's so beautiful because you see a picture of straight up spiritual warfare happening here. Who, when they had come to town, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. So it's very interesting when you see what's happening here, especially in terms of the moving of the Holy Spirit, because in verse 13, Simon believed, Simon was baptized. But look at verse 16. This is a big deal. For as yet he, capital H, speaking of the Holy Spirit, had fallen upon none of them. Or it says fallen upon, translates as fallen into none of them. This is a very, very huge deal. You know, you hear me speak about intimacy with the Lord. It's not just about reading the Bible. Reading the Bible is good. But there's very something. It's something completely different about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Verse 16 specifically says, They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Me personally, I believe verse 16 is a picture of the church today, the condition of the church. 
People have all kinds of knowledge. People believe in Jesus Christ. People have been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. But where is the Holy Spirit? Where is the Holy Spirit? Remember, verse 14 says God's word was accepted. Verse 12 says that people believed. Verse 8 says that there was joy in the city. Verse 7 says there was healing taking place. Verse 16 says that they were baptized in the name of Jesus. But I have a hardcore question. Where is the Holy Spirit? Many people today are stuck in religion. Religion. They have all kinds of knowledge. You look at their bookshelves. They have all kinds of books written by XYZ author. How to do this. How to do this. You know, all kinds of different things. They can quote the Bible. You know, they can cite passage, verse, chapter, everything. But where's the Holy Spirit? It's the danger of intellect and logic and knowledge. You read the love chapter in 1 Corinthians 13, where Paul says that those who know, know in part. It's impossible to know in full. When we know in full, we'll be dead. You'll be in your glorified bodies. The ministry of the Holy Spirit. Verse 16 is a very, very, very big verse. I don't want to lord over anybody's faith, but if you have a highlighter, highlight verse 16. Very important. You know, verse 16 is a verse. Hmm, I don't know how to say it. This is going to sound terrible. I, I really don't know how to say it. But it's haunted me for a long time. I, and I don't, I don't like saying it because haunting has like evil implications. But it's just really just bared down on my soul heavily. That's a better way to put it. Because before I used to walk with the Lord, you know, I would read the Bible. I'd be, okay, I got my chapter in for the today. You know, when I say these things, you know, when I say like, you know, earlier today, I say it's not about getting a chapter in today. It's much deeper than that. I don't say that because, you know, it just, I say that because I've done that. I used to get my chapter in for the day. I'd be hardcore. Oh, I got my five chapters in for the day. But I was still filth in my heart. Filth in my mind. A lot of people, they have religion. They believe in Jesus Christ, which is a good thing. But I'll tell you where my walk with the Lord became deeper and more intimate. It came with repentance. I would read the Bible. Yeah, I got my chapter in for the day. But then I would read the Bible a little slower. And every time I felt a knife in my heart, I would stop. And I would repent right there. Lord, forgive me. There's something that happens spiritually with repentance. It's very... You have to submit yourself to humility. It's very humbling to repent. The admission of saying, I am wrong. I was wrong. Whatever it is, 
your belief about XYZ, your behavior in XYZ, your, uh, the words that come out of your mouth. And to read the word of God and say, Lord, forgive me. I repent. I repent before you. It brings you down a couple notches. And when I started to repent more and more and more about all these things, something happened supernaturally in my heart. That's when my relationship with the Lord became deeper. A lot like... Truthfully, I don't have a lot of reasons to desire life. I don't have a lot. I can count on my hand, the no, one hand, the number of reasons why I have to, that I desire life. Like, you know, if Liz dies, it's like, it's on. It's like, I always tell Liz, you know, like, you know, if you die first, then, you know, it's on. I'm selling everything and, you know, it's, it's straight up preach the gospel. Like, don't say that because it's going to happen, you know? And so it's like. Okay, so it's like, okay, it's, it's, it's like, it's straight up on. You know, like if Liz is alive, somebody like walks in here, punches her in the mouth, he's dead. He's dead. Like, I'm not even gonna think, he's dead. Rip his throat out, everything, watch him bleed to death. He's dead. But if Liz were dead and somebody puts a gun to my head, it's like, that guy's like an angel to me. You're an angel. Let me tell you, the Lord loves you, but squeeze the trigger. He's like an angel, like a messenger of the Lord. It's so cool. It's like, that's, that's what I mean when I say deeper, deeper, deeper. It's like, I can't explain it. But verse 16, my prayer for all, everybody, is that it takes you deeper in a relationship with the Lord. A love relationship with the Lord. In verse 17, remember the heavies come to town, Peter and John. Verse 17, then... They laid hands on them. So Peter and John, you know, it's like they're special messengers. The heavies in the church. And they received the Holy Spirit. So now you have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. A holy union for a holy people. And so I have to say something about verse. what we're going to read, read from here on. You see the Holy Spirit skips Simon. The Holy Spirit falls on the people except for this guy by the name of Simon. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money saying, give me this power also. So Simon wanted the power of the Holy Spirit, but the power of the Holy Spirit was withheld from him. He begs the question, like, what's, what's happening here? Give me this power also that anyone on whom I lay hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. So Mr. Big Shot, so to speak, he liked being Mr. Big Shot. You see his carnality. You see his pride on full display. But Peter, remember, Peter and John, the heavies. Simon was a guy who was among the people. Simon was a guy who was walking with the people who had believed in Jesus Christ. He was walking with Philip. But they were naive to his heart. But then the heavies come into town, Peter and John. In verse 20, but Peter said to him, your money perish with you. Remember, Simon was only baptized in the name of Jesus. 
your money perish with you because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. This is a hardcore rebuke. A hardcore rebuke. Could you imagine Peter saying these things today to somebody in their church today? Wow, Peter is so mean. That's so mean, Peter. That's not love. But I tell you the truth. There is no greater form of love than giving truth. Truth. And truth is painful sometimes. Truth is painful a lot of the times. Because the truth of God's word confronts the natural man. Confronts the flesh. Confronts the nature of our intellect and logic. Things carnal. But it's also protective. Because you have adherence to the truth of God's word. It's like, I'm not going to mess around with this. I'm not going to mess around with that. You have a deep intimacy with the Lord. And the Holy Spirit says, turn left. And you say, okay, I'm going to turn left. The Holy Spirit says, turn right. You're going to turn right. Truth is very, very protective. And you're going to see the implications of that. The benefit of that. The advantage of that. Not only in the book of Acts, but in your life today. You will see that because in the last days, and I don't mean to sound crass in saying it like this, but we're surrounded by a bunch of stupid people. We're They're all over the place. All you have to do is look at the work of their hands. All you have to do is look at the fruit of what they've been adhering to for years. Look at their homes. Look at their kids. Look at their grandkids. Look at the, the, the work of their hands, the carnal nature. And it's like, what is happening? And because you have an adherence to truth, it's like, wow, praise the Lord. This guy's got a problem with this, but I don't have that problem. This lady's got a problem with this, but I don't have that problem. That's the intimacy. It's, you remember when we looked at In Isaiah, you don't have to throw out, you can turn, Isaiah 31, verse 31. We just read it a couple weeks ago. But in Jeremiah 31, verse 31, the Lord says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and and write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. It's deep. The relationship that the Lord has with his people, but the relationship that he desires with his people. A very, very special people set apart, consecrated. Yeah, the world is going this way, but there's a very special people who have ears to hear and eyes to see where the Lord says, no, this is my remnant. This is my people. 
a bride for the bridegroom. But so when I say we're surrounded by stupid people, I don't mean to say that in a mean way. I don't want to say like, wow, look how stupid she is. Look how dumb that guy is. It's not like that. But you know, people who have not adhered to biblical wisdom. No adherence to wisdom. They might, you know, they might say, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, I was baptized in the name of Jesus. But where is the Holy Spirit? Where is the Holy Spirit? This is what verse 20, this, that's the danger of watered down messages. You know, sometimes, you know, I'm at the pulpit and I say things and it's abrasive. And I don't say it to be abrasive. I say it because, you know, how I, how I speak, like the, the way I read the word of God in my life, like non-verbally, just read it. The way I read the Bible is a million times more harsh than how I speak the word of God. Because I trust him. I trust in the Lord. And I feel like a little prick of conviction in my heart. It's like, Lord, forgive me. Because I've learned through a lot of error that my way is evil. But to trust in the Lord and say, Lord, my heart desires this, but I don't want that. Lord, you're at the throne of my heart. I want what your word says. I want what you have for me. And that's what's so beautiful about a love relationship with the Lord. He protects you. Everybody, the world is going this way, but you're like firm, firmly planted. That's what you see in the Old Testament, the New Testament. Stephen, yeah, he lost his life. But before his, he lost his life, he said, look, I see the heavens opened up and the son of the son of man standing at the right hand of God. And second Peter chapter one, verse 11 says, so great an entrance are those who are obedient. So great an entrance. And the only ones it's like, wow, can you imagine like you're you're taking your last breath. You look up at the clouds and you see heavens opened up and you're just like, my Lord. And yeah, you know, you might feel a little pain. Oh, a stone hit me here. A stone hit me here. And then you see the, the guy with the final stone that's going to be the death blow. And it's, I love this guy so much. Because as soon as that stone hits me in the face, I'm out of here. Oh, it's like, what? I just throw it at me. And so look at what happens here. What Peter says in verse 21 to Simon you have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart your heart is not right in the sight of God. You see how deep this is? The Holy Spirit. You know, Peter and John came, the heavies came in. They laid hands on the people and they received the Holy Spirit, as verse 17 says. But the Holy Spirit skips a person. Your heart is not right in the sight of God. This is huge in the church today. Yeah, I believe in Jesus. Praise the Lord. I read my Bible. Praise the Lord. I've been baptized in the name of Jesus. Praise the Lord. And 
That's as far as man can go. You can believe in Jesus. You can read your Bible. You can be baptized in the name of Jesus. But that's how, how far man can go. The Lord knows the heart. He knows what's really going on in my heart. What's really going on in my mind? Sitting in the pews. People sitting in the pews. Uh, yawning. They're on their phone looking at, you know. God knows what they're looking at. Guys go to work. Guys go on business trips. They kiss their wife goodbye. They go on business trips. And you know what's going on in, you know, in this other town over here. Calling an old girlfriend. Calling an old boyfriend. Yeah, I'm going to have a layover here. Meet me over here. My wife, my husband will never know. Sitting in the pews listening to a message. But they're thinking, man, I'm going to get so baked tonight. Oh, I'm going to get drunk tonight. Hurry up, you know, hurry up. Let's get on with the service. I got to go to the strip club. That's what Peter is saying here. Your heart is not right in the sight of God. Many, many people, the majority, have religion. No relationship. He says this in verse 22. Repent. Repent. Now, if I was a strong adherence to once saved, always saved. Verse 13 says Simon was, he believed. He was baptized. He was walking with Philip. Why is there a need to repent if once saved, always saved? After all, you know, he's a Christian. But the Holy Spirit knows. The heart is not right in the sight of God. That's the danger of once saved, always saved. And Peter here says, repent, therefore, of this, your wickedness. And pray, God, if perhaps the thought of your heart... All these people, they're in the pews. But where's the mind? Just like Israel with the golden calf. A stiff-necked people. Remember, the Lord was like, hey, I'll walk with you. I'll, you know, I, no, I'm not going to walk with you in the wilderness. I'm not going to go with you on this journey. Because if I'm there, I'm going to kill you all. And so he gives the law a third time, except now it's mixed with the sacrifice. Symbolic of Jesus Christ. All these things point to Jesus Christ. Moses as a type of Christ. Even Joshua as a type of Christ. All these books, even Ruth as a type of Christ. That's what's so beautiful about these books that we have. It's like, wow, you know, to, to see Jesus Christ in Deuteronomy. To see Jesus Christ in Song of Songs. Some books say Song of Songs. Some books say Songs of Solomon. But in the Songs, it's beautiful intimacy. You want to read intimacy? Read the Song of Songs. That's some deep, deep, deep intimacy. You say, Jay, you're a male. You say you 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 sound kind of fruity when you talk this way. I don't care. I don't know. Sometimes, you know, not so much anymore, but he's, you know, don't you feel weird talking that way? 
It sounds fruity. Why do you talk that way? It's like, you know, have you been shot at, brother? Have you jumped out of hell? Have you put, pulled teeth out of your elbow, brother? No, the Lord humbled me. Remember, in Christ, there's no male, female, slave, free, rich, poor. In Christ, none of that matters. We are the bride of Christ. So all these people sitting in the pews, they're thinking about, wow, my bank account. Oh, the stock market's going to open. You know, what do my stocks look like? I got to get, you know, in the pre-trading, pre-trading hours. I'm going to get up early in the pre-trades. Oh, you know, the strip club is, you know, it's, I'm going to go to the strip club tonight. Hurry up with this dumb message. They come to church. And Peter says, repent, therefore, of this your wickedness and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be, may be forgiven you. That's what's so beautiful about the body of Christ. Because remember, Philip, he's going, he goes to the town, the city of Samaria. And the people were heeding him. There was great joy in the city. The Holy Spirit is moving, healing. People who were demon-possessed, paralyzed, and lame were healed. And then this guy, Stephen, he joins in. He believes in Jesus Christ, except the heavies, they call him on it. They have a sword. They have the shield. Not, sug not to suggest that Philip didn't have a shield, didn't have a sword. But spiritual reinforcements come into town. And Peter says, repent. This is why I say Calvinists hate this message. Because it's like, no, once saved, always saved. Once saved, always saved. Once saved, always saved. Really? Why is Peter telling a believer to repent of wickedness and the thoughts of his heart? In verse 23, more is revealed about what's going on. For I see that you are poisoned by Bitterness and bound by iniquity. Bitterness. Remember, he had, he was the big shot in town. And next, you know, uh, Philip comes into town. He had resentment and anger. Oh, this is so unfair. You know, I want to be the big shot. I want to do the miracles. He said, give me this power that anyone whom I may lay, may lay, that I lay hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. That's the heart of Simon. Like Cain. Remember, Cain gave an offering to the Lord. Abel gave an offering to the Lord. But the Lord accepted Abel's because Cain's heart wasn't right. Jealousies. Envy and hate. I have to tell you, for everybody here, every everybody who's... Listening to this message, life is not fair. You have to understand that life is not fair. There is nothing fair in this life. And I don't mean to say that in, as like, uh, like a suck it up mentality, like just deal with it. But life isn't fair. Par Paradise comes when you die. If you believe in Jesus Christ. But you say, you know, I say believe in Jesus Christ, but it's much deeper because you could say Simon believed in Jesus Christ. Look at verse 13. Simon himself also believed. He was baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. But there's something different. Where's the Holy Spirit? 
Where is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit inside of these temples, inside of the temples here today? You see how deep it is? It's not about, yeah, I got my chapter in today. Yeah, I got my two chapters in today. Yeah, I'm so hardcore. I got in a book today. It's deeper. You know, when the Lord, you're, you have the pride of life and you repent, 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 repent. It's almost like that's where the nexus of beautiful things is right with humility. It's, it's, I can't describe it. All I can say is that it's beautiful. All I can advocate is, you know, if you're not there, get there. You say, how do I get there? Repentance. Because you become more humble, 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 humble. And you get to a point where it's like, it's like a rocket ship. The Holy Spirit, it's like, boom. His heart, her heart is softer than anything. And I'm going to use that heart. And then boom, skyrocket. And look at what Peter or Simon says here. In verse 24, then Simon answered and said, pray to the Lord for me. This is so powerful. Because if Simon had a personal relationship, why couldn't he pray? Why did he, you know, why not just repent? If he had a personal relationship. Why not just say, this guy Peter, he's confronting me on the nature of my heart. And you know, if... If a godly person, male or female, comes to you and says, you know what, this isn't right before the Lord. It's like, whoa, you're right. I'm sorry. You go to the Lord, forgive me, Lord. And the Bible says you've earned a brother, you've earned a sister. That's the body taking care of the body. Like you cut your arm. You cut your arm and what happens? The, you know, the white blood cells and red blood cells work. I don't know how that works. But I know blood cells happen. You know, they do something. The body, you know, working together. And then a week later, two weeks later, it's like, wow, I got a little scar here. And that's it. That's the body, you know. Hey, brother, hey, sister, this isn't right before the Lord. Not for my heart, not for my nature. Not creating people in my own image. Not to say, hey, you know what? I don't like that you're a Democrat. And so, you know, repent of that. You know, even though I do have, you know, political thoughts. But I don't care about political party. It's to say, this is the word of God. This is the nature of the Lord. This is where the power of the Holy Spirit is. And you know what? I see this. And it's not right. I hear your language. And it's like. I do it with tears sometimes. Brother, sister, I have to tell you something. I have to tell you something. This in your life, it's not right before the Lord. And then they leave. That's the last time I see them. It's the last time I see them. And you know what? It's not that, you know, I, I take pleasure in these things. I mean, I do take pleasure, you know, unto the Lord. And I didn't ask for this job. But when I read Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. I have to watch out for people's souls. It says here, they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. 
I have to give an account for God's people. I must. It's going to happen one day. And it's going to be a stricter account than what you guys have to give. You're going to give an account. Well, I'll say it another way. Those who teach the Bible (laughs) are held to a much, much, much more strict accounting unto the Lord. You say, well, Jay, that kind of freaks me out a little bit. And I say, good. I'm glad. Fear nothing. Only fear the Lord. Only fear the Lord. You know, it's so beautiful how the Lord works. Simon should have been the one to hear Peter's words. Hey, repent. And he should have fallen on his knees. Forgive me, Lord. I wonder. It's not written in scripture. But I wonder if the Holy Spirit would have been like, boom, fallen upon him and dwelt his temple. But no, Simon, he says, pray to the Lord for me. That none of the things which you have spoken may come upon me. Historically speaking, through the writings of the church fathers, the real church fathers, pre-Augustine, I don't accept Augustine as a church father. I accept Augustine as a blasphemer. A lot of people would hate hate that I say that. But I accept Augustine as a blasphemer. Read the writings of John Calvin who quotes hardcore the teachings of Augustine. You read the writings of Clement, you read the writings of Irenaeus, and they speak heavily against Gnosticism. Heavily, heavily against once saved, always saved. Heavily. Because if I'm once saved, always saved, I can repent, I can walk with the Lord, I can believe, I can do all these things, And I can also beat on my wife. I can also cheat on my wife. I can also stick a needle in my arm. Because once saved, always saved. But it doesn't work that way. Where is the Holy Spirit? Historically, this Simon guy, he left the faith and founded a certain thought concept called Gnosticism. Gnosticism, where I believe in God, but I believe in my own way. I don't believe what the Bible says about this. I believe in God that there's a higher power, but I don't believe how, you know, this book says this, this chapter says this, this verse says this, but no. You know, people who adhere to those, perhaps, I have a hunch, a strong hunch, people who like to cherry pick the word of God. They like, you know, certain psalms and they say, wow, this is so beautiful. But when you read these passages of, hey, your heart is not right before God, repent, therefore, of this, your wickedness. They say, I don't like that because I like my crack. I like my alcohol. I like whatever. And I don't want to repent of those things. And the heart, instead of going, you know, being humbled, it's the opposite. Pride, 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 pride. And all of a sudden, the heart is hard like a rock. How can the Holy Spirit penetrate? Brokenness. The Holy Spirit says, okay, now because this heart heart is like a rock, I got to break this rock. 
All you got to do is read uh, the account of Nebuchadnezzar. He believed in God because of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he believed in God. And then you turn the page and all of a sudden the Lord humbled him. He was like a cow. He was eating with the cows. Sitting in this fine dining room, you know, all these things. And, you know, in the course of time, he's with the cows grazing on the field like a cow. And at the end of it all, the Lord restored his mind and he rejoices and he starts praising the Lord again. That's what I mean when the Lord says, okay, this heart is so hard. I got to take this heart and I have to break him. I have to break her. You say, Jay, where do you get this from scripture? I get this from my own life. I had to be broken and the Lord broke me. And this is the message that I tell for you. It's beautiful in the eyes of the Lord. Repent, 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 repent. Because you get to a place of humility. You get to a place where you can start to hear. You see things differently. Because the Lord says, that's the heart that I can use. That's the heart, that's the life that I can shape. That's what I can mold. Like Plato, you see hard Plato looking, you throw it in the trash. You can't use it. Hard clay. But what is it when you have a soft piece of clay in your hand? It's like, wow, this is it right here. I can do it. The learned class, learned Calvinists, they hate these teachings. They hate this, these verses that we read today. In verse 25, so when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem. They returned to Jerusalem. You see how God sends Philip? One guy. He sends Philip. And then Philip goes, the Lord moves, the Holy Spirit is moving. And then all of a sudden, the reinforcements come, the heavies. John and Peter. And through it all, God is glorified. God receives the glory. They returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. You see, it's a personal love relationship with Jesus Christ. This personal love relationship with Jesus Christ. I, I sound weird saying it, it, to say personal. To, to, for, those, for those words and to come out of my mouth, off my tongue, it does not do it justice. It's to, to say a personal relationship with Jesus. It's like a million times deeper than that. It comes from sound doctrine. It comes from truth. And then the, you become equipped. And then you're like, Philip, you straight up go on the offense. Offense. That is what the church is lacking today. You have people that, you know, they believe in Jesus. They've been baptized in the name of Jesus. But where is the Holy Spirit? Hearts that aren't right in the sight of God. The same thing with Simon. So we're going to end our study here and pick up in verse 26.